PGA Nation. We are back. We are back with another fun week of golf. Now, it's a weird week because, you know, it's our typical or what I like to call a JV tournament. Not a ton of the big names are, are going to be teeing off with this this week. And it's also kind of the end of the road before there's a little bit of a break and there's some tournaments later on. So, uh, you want to play because it's fun and we love golf and that's why you listen to our show. Uh, but it's not the most uh, thrilling tournament. Sia, it was, he was here tonight. Unfortunately, Sia couldn't make it tonight. He'd be complaining about the context selection because it's piss poor. We get it. But we're still going to give you all the picks, best picks like we do every week. And just a little reminder, maybe we had another first round leader wage night last week. Maybe another outright from David as well. Uh, David, you start with How do you guys keep doing it? Well, you know, I think I, I wake up in the morning, you know, and I do a meditation um, that usually that, that starts my day. And then I, I look myself in the eyes in the mirror directly. Um, usually I'm just wearing a towel at this point and I just, I tell myself just what a great day I'm going to have. And um, that's, that's the, really the key. That's the key. I mean, you do that. You're off to a winning start already. Um, no, it's been it's been a great year, Joel. It's been it's been awesome. Seventeenth um, outright for the for the year. Um, not only did we have um, Tony Finau as a headline pick, we had Alex Noren as well. So he finished in the top five. Um, hashtag Budgetgate. Obviously, didn't get drafted onto my team due to some um, budgeting issues, but he um, he was in the in the tips and the outright picks as well. So. Um, and then in terms of the, the draft, I drafted um, Joseph Bramlett, who was six six and a half K and finished in ninth. So that was a great performance from, from him and, and some massive values. So just delivering, man, just delivering. That's what we do on, on Win Daily. Process sounds foolproof. Thanks, David. Spence, how are you doing tonight? I do a very similar thing as David, just towel removed in this equation. But... <laughs> Tell myself what a great day it's going to be. But no, it was it was all jokes aside of that. It was a, another good tournament. Unfortunately, I didn't get my three-peat. Uh, I lost, by, I believe, four and a half points to David on this show. Tony Fina was a little bit too much for me to overcome. But, uh, you know, anytime that you have an outright that's hit and then a first-round leader that I hit in Aaron Wise, like, I don't know what more you can want from a show than that. So... We're doing the right stuff at Win Daily. The picks are coming through. I think all the lineups last week, for the most part, were really successful. Like we talked about a lot of players that were in contention. There was a lot of those guys near the top of the leaderboard that uh, we mentioned on this show. And I mean, that's what we try to do here. We try to provide as much upside as we possibly can with the boards when we run through them and as much information as everybody can take in listening to it. So uh, that's always the goal at the end of the day. And, you know, we did, of course, hit another first round leader. So, there has been some speculation that we're going to change our name to the first round leader cast. Um, it's possible still. I, we said if we hit two first round leaders in every tournament for the remainder of 2023, we're changing the name to the first round leader cast. So, I mean, we're going to hit one every tournament. That's a lot, but we'll get to it. Well, let me add one thing to that really quickly. So, I think the PGA Tour might be trying to drown us out this weekend. You know, we'll see, and I don't know if numbers are up at this point, but it's a split rotational event, which we'll talk a little bit more about. That means that half your guys are going to go off on one course on Thursday. The other ones are going to go off on the other one 
They'll rotate that on Friday until everybody will come back on Sea Island on Saturday and Sunday. But that makes a really difficult first round leaderboard. And I have seen a market out there, which I don't know how many people have access to it that have put everybody together. And I think at the end of the day, like you would want the plantation course because it's a par 72. You're going to be able to play four par fives. But I also don't know how doable that's going to be because and maybe maybe you guys can correct me here. I The last I've looked, DraftKings and FanDuel haven't posted first round leader uh, numbers, at least as of like two hours ago here. So I don't know if that's changed. And when they do, I would anticipate that we get a split rotational event where half will be on one course, half will be on the other, and you'll have to bet it that way with it. But at least keep that in mind if you have a book that might be a little bit slow to react or isn't aware of what's going on. The plantation course, in my mind, is where you would want to be for first round leader. And unfortunately, I don't know if that's going to necessarily help us this week because I don't know how much we can dive into the information, but I just want to throw that out there before we actually got into the show this week. Yeah, that's really good info. Um, I am not seeing the lines up for first round leaders on DraftKings yet. I do think they'll be out tomorrow. So I do think we'll get them. You'll be able to make those bets. We probably won't be able to provide them for you tonight, but of course, 599, check back in, sign up for win daily, get on discord. We'll give you the plays. You'll still be able to get them. Um, but I do remember last year in tournaments where like they started on different courses. They usually, in the way Spencer said it is, is correct, they usually will give you the first leader from each course. So you, you know, what that does is two things. It probably raises your probability of being able to hit it a little bit, but reduces the odds of each winner because it's a smaller pool. To us, we're going to hit anyway because we always hit. So I'd rather have the increased odds, but we'll still have fun with it either way. Before we dive into the draft tonight, Spence, can you enlighten us? What is you looking for on the course this week? Yeah, so Sea Island was designed in 1928 by Harry Colt and C.H. Allison, but did undergo some restorations from Tom Fazio in 1998. As I always note, the main takeaway from a Fazio design will be the extreme undulation that can be found throughout. But this isn't your prototypical setup from a contextual standpoint that you always get from him. You know, Fazio kept most of the link style quirks from the original layout. And we see that with fairways that are easy to hit, but will be a necessity to locate since the field connects on 80% of their greens in regulation when hitting their approach shots from the fairway. That's a total that ranks as highly as any course on tour that I run my model for. But I don't want to overcomplicate that explanation since the width of the fairways average 7.2 yards wider than your standard setup. All of that's really basic from an expectation standpoint. You're going to want guys that hit fairways. You're going to want guys that can putt. You need guys that can scramble. But the one notable difference that I just alluded to that I want to elaborate just a second time is from a game theory perspective, and maybe this is something that we might want to look into for you know round one and round two contests, is the Thursday and Friday rounds will be rotating between Sea Island and the plantation course. That adds a more challenging wrinkle to handicap statistically since rotational events change what is being asked from the field between days. And we see that by looking at the par 70 versus par 72 difference, where the one-off performance will feature four par fives. In fairness, that's likely the one noticeable variation, since there are at least some similarities in green size and grass type. But I didn't overweight my model based off of that. When you have 75% of the rounds at one venue and the critical weekend rounds taking place there, I don't want to overcomplicate the process by saying, well, this 25% on either Thursday or Friday makes up a ton. Like, sure, if you want to put a little bit into par five scoring, I can live with that. But I just wouldn't make too many differences based off of that. Uh, the last thing is wind can play a factor. That's one of the reasons I graded it into my model. And then we have an eye-popping nine-part 
nine par fours that measure between 400 to 450 yards. I'll call it 10 for the sake of my research since one is just outside at 452, but uh, that's going to give you the extra consolidated emphasis on approach metrics from 125 to 175. That produces an 8.5% increase. And then the one other difference that is at least something that's substantial, which turns this into a putting contest, is 8.3% more putts get made from 10 feet and beyond than we're accustomed to on tour. That's going to be troublesome when building models because that does put us into that range of, as I said, a putting contest. I don't necessarily love that, but, you know, it's something that we're going to have to get around at the end of the day with it. And I do think that there's ways that you can put putting into a model. I put weighted proximity and weighted putting. Give me guys that are going to put it into the ranges that I'm looking for and guys that are more likely to make the putts. That gives you a really unique skill set that's needed this week. But uh, you can check out my model to kind of see where those guys rank based off of that. There you have it. Listen back. That is the critical information to get an edge each week. But without further ado, we're going to take our knowledge and we're going to head it over to the draft. Uh, we came a little bit unprepared this week as we don't have the draft order yet. So I'm going to go ahead and give Spence the um, one last week. David beat me. He just eclipsed me by about four and a half points. So uh, David was the winner last week. All right, David, will you go ahead and pick a quick order for the draft today? Um, so I'm going to take the first pick. Um, and then obviously I'll put Spencer in that second slot. So what that means is that when I do my double draft, I'll steal at least one of Spencer's picks. Of um, then we'll put the audience in third and Joel will put you in fourth. So you get the double pick at the end. All right. All right. There's the order. And also shout out Byron. Thank you for calling out, um, Spence, I, I, I'll point out that I'm not a nudist. I was wearing a towel, was my, and Spence was the one who, who mentioned dropping the towel. So thanks, Byron. Um, good to have you here as always, and, and good to have Brent here as well. Audience, I have a feeling you guys are coming in for a win. I, it feels like the audience is due for a hot week. Um, this might be it. You know, Byron looks like he's in the chat ready to go. Get your nominations in quick. You're picking third. So, It'll be pretty rapid. As a reminder, it takes two nominations from the audience, a first and a second for your pick to go through. Snake style, as always, I will go ahead and pull the draft course up now. David, you are on the clock. I am. Just before we get into that, what I, what I mentioned as well is that we've been used to giving out our outright plays on this show and, and first-round leader plays. Obviously, first-round leaders, we're still waiting for those markers come out so we can't give that out today and um, with our outrights what we want you to do is jump onto our twitter feed at win daily sports retweet the link to this video if we get to 20 retweets we will give out those outrights at the end of the play as you know we've been hitting in a massive way with those i've hit 17 outrights for 2022 um and now again last week so we can get to 20 retweets jump onto win daily sports retweet that link and we'll give them out on the show. Otherwise, they'll be in the Win Daily Discord from all of us at the end of um, end of the show. Um, so the reason, one of the reasons, other than stealing Spencer's picks, um, is I am going to take Spencer's favorite golfer in the whole entire world with the number one pick. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. It is Jason Day. Jason Day, I like it. I mean, all that's well, obviously. We know how Spence feels about the pick, but Spence, go ahead. Well, I put it in all capital letters if you if you <laughs> notice there. That's how excited I am. And 
I'll say this. It was worth it losing the contest last week to see Jason Day go number one. So congratulations on winning, David. We can end this draft. We can move on after 16 <laughs> minutes of this show. Um, but, you know, I the one concern I have about Jason Day, and there's only one thing I, I have that I would mention this week. Sea Island is very cold. Let's hope that the back holds up. If it holds up, this is probably the best opportunity that he's had to win a golf tournament. Uh, and I know we've been coming on and saying we like him most of these weeks, but uh, you could make a strong argument that he could be the deserving favorite to be on top of the board at this point. So uh, I like Jason Day from a metric standpoint. I think that everything makes sense. We see it coming with in the right direction with all these top 25 finishes that he's producing over and over again. And uh, it's going to be a little painful because I don't have an outright on him this week. This is like the one week that I've missed, but it's it's hard to say much negative about him. Yeah, and I guess the, the only thing I'll add is that he's, he's coming in off nine straight tournaments of gaining on approach. So, um, look, I, I understand the fears here and that he has had some difficulties with injuries over the years, but I, I think it's fair to say, I mean, just given the performances that he's kind of touting out week in, week out, that um, those concerns for me have been minimised quite a bit. Um, look, he, he does feel that his um, his metrics are certainly trending in the direction of, of a golfer who's due for a win. <laughs> Um, he's got a great record around here as well, so it's an easy pick. And um, yeah, great to great to have the towel banter. Towelgate obviously is um, is a hit with the audience. <laughs> oh, um, while Spence has fun with changing Jason Day's name, uh, Spence, you are also now on the clock. I didn't know exactly how I wanted to approach this week, so there's a, a lot of players that I really like. Um, I'm going to go with a golfer that I think I have said more negative things about than almost any player. I mean, almost every single week I say, I don't want to play him. He's overpriced. I don't want anything to do with him. I'm going to take him this weekend. I've seen a reduction in ownership take place over these last couple of days. He was really hot on Monday. I was seeing him as one of the most uh, highest owned players. He was more in like the 20% range. I see 11.5% now. Uh, two top tens in this venue over his past three appearances. But I think this might be the best chance Denny McCarthy has ever had to win a golf tournament. I'm going to trust my model here above anything else. So when I ran that recalculated data for weighted proximity and weighted putting into the mix, it loved him this week. So like the shorter ranges propelled him up. We know that the putter's good. He's the only player in my model to rank in the top 30 of every category I attached a weight to this week. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you're telling me he's going to be 11% and I'm seeing upside that, you know, there's weeks where he's like 17% owned and I think he has no upside. And now this week, I actually think he has upside and he's like 11% owned. So I'm going to trust my model here. Maybe there's a little bit more volatility than usual. Um, at least my model kind of thinks that from a trajectory standpoint, but I don't know. I mean, number one, when it comes to upside, that meant something to me. So I'll take McCarthy at 9,100. There you have it. Uh, I like Denny this week. I think uh, he is playing well. But, you know, in fairness, I always like Denny. So um, I guess my opinion probably won't count as much. <laughs> Audience, you are on the clock. Tonight, you don't have your CS support card. So we are going to need you guys to be fully engaged and on it. Get your nominations in quick. Um, we don't have one in, so we really are going to need you guys moving. Oh, no, we do have a couple in, so 
There's Montgomery and Hughes. And while we wait for everyone else to chime in, I'm gonna take. Uh, can we take um, Byron's comment there? The full Monty um, as seconding Taylor Montgomery. Byron, can you clarify? Is that a second on Taylor Montgomery? All right, yes. we'll do it. The Taylor Montgomery, it is. Um, I don't mind that. Being, listen, at the end of the day, I think you have to. What I you have to accept the fact that this is a JV tournament, and so Taylor Montgomery actually is one of the more premier players in the talent pool that is going to be going out this week. You know, ninety percent of the time, Taylor Montgomery ninety six hundred is a fade for sure. But this week, he's probably priced appropriately. What do you think about that pick? I like the leverage that he creates. Um, I mean, you kind of alluded to it, Joel. Like, this isn't the most high-end board. There are players I like more than him. Like, but from an... Like, I'll, I'll tell you. So, from... I have one player $8,000 and up that technically has better leverage on the board than Taylor Montgomery does. And anytime that you can talk about leverage in GPP contests... I'm okay with the play. Like I have negative trajectory for upside. That worries me when he's $9,600, but it's one of those things that we always talk about. Is the reduction in ownership worth what the price tag increase has become? To me, I don't know if the answer is yes to that because I think there's other places I would rather go, but he's a player that no matter how I run my model, he's inside the top 11 in every iteration. And you know, unfortunately, that's a guy who's priced fourth on DraftKings right now, so you're going to need more than that. But, I mean, it's hard to come on here and say Taylor Montgomery is not a, a good play when he is less than 10% owned. Like, there is upside to be had. I love it. How about you, David? What do you think about that pick? Yeah, my, I, I think where it does give that leverage is because everyone, you know, this, this historically has been a course where there is a bit of a premium on driving accuracy. And so I think there is going to be a tendency to move away from some of those longer drivers who aren't as accurate like Taylor Montgomery. The, the only caveat I'd put on that is that at a course like this, these guys do club down and they do club down quite a bit. And the overall the driving accuracy is going to be higher than at other courses. So if that means that everyone in the community is then is avoiding someone like Taylor Montgomery, who who historically is an incredibly good putter, um, there could be some great leverage there. I love it. I love it. Uh, audience, start thinking about your nominations because my two picks are going to be quick. I am locked in. My first pick is going to be Davis Riley. I think I'm just getting way too good a price tag on Davis Riley here. In this field, I would have had him in the high 9K range. You know, I wouldn't even mind him price anywhere up there. So a lot of my strategy for this for this week is I don't think there is a huge difference between, you know, the top of the field going down to the 8K. Like, go get your guys. You don't have to feel like I need to do stars and scrub. There's no just thing as stars and scrub. There are no stars in this tournament. Um so you know, you can play who you want, and you know my way of uh, doing that is just going out there, being balanced. I don't want to dive too low um, if I don't have to this week. So with Davis Riley, he's a great piece at 8K, who I think has plenty of upside. His ball striking has been as good as it's as he was in his kind of heater that he's been on. And then I'm going to go with my second pick, another guy who's just been red hot, who uh, in this field again I think his upside. You know, in a normal tournament with all our players, he's in doesn't have the upside he's more of a cash play for me but i think this week 
he does have some upside in this type of JV field, and that's Patrick Rogers, who he's on just a year. I mean, in the last few weeks, um, in the last five tournaments that he's played in, he's got all top five top thirties in a row with a with a tie for third. Granted, that was in Bermuda, but he also had a top twenty last week in Houston, a top twenty at the Zozo. He's just playing really good golf, and he's another guy that you're getting at a really strong price tag here, at less than nine k. Yeah, I, what I'd say with, with Rogers is that, um, I mean, obviously since Fenel's withdrawn, you know, that's all the, a lot of these books were scrambling to readjust all the pricing um, down, obviously, given um, he was he was a single-figure favourite. What I'd say with Rogers is that he's been cut quite substantially further than the other players around him. Like, I mean, he was sort of in the 15-60 kind of range. Um, they've taken them right down to like the 30, 35 kind of mark. So that suggests to me that there's been quite a bit of money coming his way too. That's always a good thing. Love that. Um, audience, you know, I don't think you guys get enough credit. You know, first I want to take this minute just to say great job with the speed of getting your pick in without his help super quickly. And you know what? Not only did you get it in quickly, it was a good pick. It was what I was considering with my pick. Um, he's been playing great. His recent form is there. You're getting him at a good price here at under 9K. He's another one of those guys that fits the same mold as Mitrofix, right? He could have been in the 9K range in this tournament. You're getting the discount. He has just as much upside. I really like the pick here. Spence, any thoughts? Um, I, I'm indifferent to it. I, I don't. I don't dislike it. I, I mean, he's not the first player I'm running to. I, the one thing that I agree with, Joel, is that if you would have told me that he switched price with somebody in the $9,000 range, we don't need to cherry pick somebody out of that group. But if he switched the price with somebody there and he was, you know, 9300 let's say, I, I could see that. Like, I worried a little bit that he was so bad at that tournament last week when it came to his ball striking metrics I kept writing about it every single day, and he beat me. He beat me pre-tournament. He beat me round one. He beat me round two. He beat me round three. Finally got there on Sunday where I got a win against him, but I kept watching these performances from him where he's gaining three shots with his short game. He's losing strokes when it comes to the critical ball striking metrics, and he's shooting himself into the top 10 of the leaderboard because he's chipping everything in and making every single putt. That would be my one concern that that finish last week might, like, he probably shouldn't have made the cut at the end of the day with it, so... I mean, that's the only thing I would say about it. I don't dislike it because I think this is a prototypical setup that you would want for him when it comes to like putting at the end of the day. I like the ownership that he brings more than anything because I do think there's some safety in the play if you're going to talk about a golfer that's, you know, around 10%. I mean, there's a lot of players that are vastly higher than him on the board, but I, I don't know. I mean, he's 22nd in my model. He's 18th for safety. That's not a guy that I'm saying like, oh, you need to fade him. It's just... At 8,600, it's very kind of in the middle of where I want to be. I would just add this. You are a McKenzie Hughes hater. Oh, hate McKenzie Hughes. And, I, and in a tournament like this, he, you know, there is something to the fact that, you know, he can get red piping hot sure. with that putter, which gives you winning upside. So I really like him. Um, but I think your point is fair in that he's not an elite ball striker, which makes him very risky as well. Well, I'm like notoriously the biggest Denny McCarthy, Mackenzie Hughes. I would say those are the two players. So 
for Hughes to grade 22nd for me, that's like as high as he's ever been before. And it, it kind of goes to your point that you just said. Look at what he's done at this venue in his career. Let's just look at the last two years. Second place finish, miscut. I, I think there's a lot to be said about if the putter gets hot, he can obviously find success here. If the ball striking goes south, he can miss the cut. So it's just what version do you expect? Fair. That's, that is fair. Um, all right, Sven, you're on the clock. All right. I am going to try to save some salary here, even though I'm not going that low on, a board, on the board, with a golfer that is going to be very popular. Uh, I see him as the fourth highest in ownership projection right now. Um, I think I can get away with this when I take McCarthy that is, you know, 11%. This is a golfer is about 15%. But I'm going to take Andrew Putnam at 7,900. And Putnam's been brilliant with 11 straight made cuts. Uh, He's top 15 when I look at weighted putting plus weighted proximity. Uh, He's also inside the top 15 for strokes gain total on easy, short, and Bermuda courses. That was a group that landed him into a very select range. There were only so many players. There was like six of them. I don't want to – let me see if there's anybody that's landed there that's been picked. So McCarthy was one of them. Putnam was one of them. Uh, Taylor Montgomery was one of them if you want to look at the positives there, I guess. I mean, that's a, at least a reason to be encouraged there. But I really like Putnam's combination of safety and upside here. He's second in my model. So McCarthy was one when Finau got removed. Putnam was two when I ran this for upside. That's about as like different of a board as I ever get. And I think it's because I added so much putting to the mix here that I kind of created one of those wonky boards that I don't normally do. But I think it's the right way to build this tournament this week. So I really like Andrew Putnam's price tag. I think he could have been in the 9,000s. Like we can throw him into that mix. Fair. Fair. It's almost like, you know, one of the suggestions I think for building this week is build your own tiers, like price agnostic, because pricing was hard this week with, how the, this field was built. And so you can put a lot of these guys that maybe weren't priced in the 9Ks in your elite or 9K tier and enable you to kind of build that way, knowing even though your guys, you know, you can overvalue guys at a lower price tag uh, because of the way this field is constructed. Uh, David, you got back to back here. Who are you looking at? I mean, first thing I'll say is that I've completely shot myself in the foot playing Spence in second because um, Andrew Putnam was one of like one of my players coming up. So um, I guess that's karma, you know, people. That, that's karma. That's what happens. You you try and uh, target a, a threat, and um, he comes back and, and bites you. So, yep, I love the Andrew Putnam play. Congratulations, um, Spencer. Um, so first pick I'm going to take is uh, Matthew Naismith. Um, look, I, I just love the the game that we've seen from him lately. One thing that not many people are going to be diving into is his amateur record here. So he held the um, the record for 54 holes um, at the SEC um, Championship. Um, he was um, 14 under and was like quite a far way ahead of the rest of the pack around this course. So he's got um, some good history and good memories here. Um, if he's ever going to um, break through with the with a win, this seems like a great spot to do it. Um, several um, May cuts in a row. Obviously, the 53rd last week, we need to dive into a little bit more um, because the majority of those strokes um, were lost again during one round, which, um, you know, anytime I can get that, for me, that creates a little bit of leverage because people often just see the result and they don't actually dive into the information that's behind it. So um, so I'm happy to take him there. And then with my second pick, I'm going to go one of my favorite plays on the board, which is um, JJ Spawn. 
Um, so I'm seeing like quite a quite a difference in terms of the way he's priced in fantasy compared to the way the markets are treating him. Um, we've seen previously on these courses where like the, the RSM Classic puts an emphasis on driving accuracy, even though it has quite wide fairways, because if you miss the fairways, you end up in water or you end up in, in kind of marsh, kind of swampland. Um, so the, the penalty for missing fairways is significant and that's kind of similar to what we saw at the Valero Texas the other thing I'd say with Texas is you've got the wind correlation to here as well which it is an exposed course you do get um, played in the wind and obviously um, JJ Spawn was able to get his victory there um, he's got a decent history here as well so um, he holds the second place here from 2018 and then um, and then 16th on his last appearance in 2022 He's also got a sixth place at the um, at the RBC Heritage in Harbour Towns, so just a very good comp course for um, this track here. All right, there you have it. Two solid picks there. Uh, we'll keep the draft moving here. Spence, who are you looking at here with your third pick? I'll say this just very quickly. I, I like both of those picks from David. That kind of shrinks the board down on me, um, depending on which route I go here, because this can really condense in quickly. So there are two golfers that I'm deciding between, and I'd like to get both of them, but I don't know if I'm going to. I, I'm kind of afraid that I'm going to lose one here. So it comes down to which one would I rather have. Um, I guess I'm going to go with, well, <laughs> let me not say exactly what I'm going with because I don't want to give away who the other one is. But I, I guess I'm going to go with Brendan Todd at 8,000. I really like Todd's metrics and, and it's kind of, I keep going back to the same thing of looking for weighted proximity plus weighted putting. We know that Todd at his, at his core is an amazing putter. He's an amazing Bermuda putter. If you're telling me at least what my model is telling me here is that there is an upside that I can find when I look for weighted proximity for this venue. And that's not something I normally see from Brendan Todd because you don't necessarily think irons for Brendan Todd and, and think he can find success. But, you know, he's inside like the top 40 for me when I run weighted proximity. And that's for a golfer that's usually outside the top 100. So that's a big noticeable difference at this point when I think that I know he's going to make putts. I know he's going to be accurate off the tee. If the irons can just be somewhat decent, I think that the form is trending. The Bermuda putting's the magnificent for the profile. And then the way to proximity and total driving when I run it specifically for this track does put them inside the top five of a lot of iterations of my model this week. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Todd was the one I just wrote down like right before you picked him. For, so I was teeing up for my next pick. I like Todd. I actually think he just makes a lot of sense on this course. He's playing well. I think the type of tournament you'll see Todd succeed at is a JV-type tournament where the field's a little watered down, which allows him to, to rise up a little bit. So I think for a lot of reasons, I'm, uh, I can get behind that pick. I'm just afraid now. Like, I, I don't think the next player is making it back to me. I guess there's two players that I need to make it back to me, and I don't think they're going to. So it was kind of like addition by subtraction at the end of the day because I'm going to lose out on who I need, and then that really convolutes this board moving forward. I'm certainly going to do my best to make sure they don't get back to you. So, uh, audience, help me out. Who are we taking to steal from Spencer? You got to get two nominations in. It looks like. Looks like we've got uh, Davis Thompson. Is there two? Is there two? DT, I think that counts. I think it yeah. counts. All right, Thompson, it is. 
Um, David, what do you think about that pick? Yeah, I think I think he's got some um, decent upside. I like. I mean, look, anytime that Spilardi's um, back in the player, that's always um, a good credentials because um, him and his team are incredibly t- sharp. Um, for those who don't know, Stephen or, or Spilardi's one of um, the Win Daily team. He does our projection models as well, and he's he's pretty sharp. Um, I'm liking the approach games that I'm games that I'm seeing from um, Davis Thompson. I mean, he has played here several times. He has missed the last two cuts. Um, but, I mean, as Brent's mentioned in the chat, um, you know, it's a very good point, is that this can be a really volatile tournament. You know, it is it is a case of where if you do miss the freeway, you can be in trouble and you have to take penalty strokes. It is also subject to the wind. It can just simply be when you get on the course, were you on the course at the right time. So I wouldn't read too much into that. Um, but I do like to look at his um, approach metrics, and he is very accurate and along with the, the driver as well. So particularly when he's playing that plantation course with the additional par fives, hopefully he can get some scoring done then. There you have it. Um, I like it. I, I like the pick. Spence, do you have any thoughts on that pick as well? Uh, I'm probably indifferent on him just because of ownership at the end of the day. Like I'm seeing 8 to 10% every single time that I updated. I I, I liked him last week. I, I had him as a top 40 bet at plus 150. Uh, it ended up missing by one shot to landing. I, I don't know. I mean, he's not the first player that I'm rushing into my builds. But, um, I mean, if you look at what he's done recently, ninth at the Fortinet, 12th at the Shriners, 43rd at the Houston Open. Um, I mean, it's enough of a reason to at least think that you have some safety built into the mix. And and like David said, I don't necessarily think there's a lack of upside. I, I just don't know that I love the 8 to 10% range when – I mean, if I'm looking at this right now, that makes him, I guess, the second or third highest price player, like sub, you know, $8,000 at this point. Like, that's at least a noticeable number. Yeah, I think that's that's totally fair. I think probably I would highlight ownership for me. I would prioritize ownership more this week because I feel like the players are, are more evenly distributed in talent. Um I, I feel like there's a lot more coin flip options to go after where if you can feel like you can find an edge on, from the ownership side between between two or three guys, I probably would defer to the lower owned more so this week than most. Okay. Um, all right. I'm going to go ahead and start with my first pick. I'm going to take my namesake in Joel Dahman. Uh I love his current form. Joel Dahman is on a hot streak, and he's another one of these guys that even at 9,200, listen, I have plenty of money to afford him. Um, the ownership is a little high for what I like for him, but it's not overwhelming. I got, I'm happy with taking the what I'm looking at about 12 to 13 percent. And then coming in, he's got he's coming off two top tens in a row, a six type for 16th at the Zozo. Um, he's really in the last five tournaments played really well, really consistent. His ball striking has been pretty elite. This looks like a really good spot for him, um, to compete, get another top 10 really. Stay toward the top of the board, especially I think in this weak field. Um, he's one of the talent risers for sure in terms of win equity. And I'm going to also pair him with uh, who should I go? I'll go with Sayed Sagala. In terms of long term potential and what we get, Sagala might be the best golfer in this field. Um, is he playing that way right now? Probably not, but he's not playing poorly. Uh, I don't think we're taking – I'm not taking a guy that's not in form and hoping he comes through. He's playing, you know, pretty well. Tiger 22nd at the Houston. He had a fifth at the Zozo, a sixth at the Fortinet. Um, the talent is there. We just – you know, the concern with him is that he can be a little wild with the driver, which is not what you want here on this course. 
So I, I, that is what I'm rolling the dice on. But if he can find keeping that driver straight and where he wants to play it, I think he can speak a little bit tournament as well. I, I like the 4% ownership that I'm seeing on Thigala. Like, he's a boomer bust candidate, but it's kind of like a very similar mentality that I was talking about. You know, maybe a little bit different because I think Taylor Montgomery is going to be safer, but it's like the reduction in ownership at what point, because I'll put it this way. My model thinks that his volatility is concerning, but at what point, and that's a, that's a, like a, I think anybody would say that. I, I know recently we've seen a little bit more consistency from him, but at what point does that volatility from at least the perception of the public become so overweighted? That now you have a 4% golfer, which, as Joel just said, I mean, Thagola could be the best player in the world, or not, maybe not in the world, but in this tournament, if we look back on this in five years, and you're like, yeah, well, Thagola should have been $11,000. Like, he became that sort of player here. So, I think it's a boomer bust play. I think you need to be aware of that when, when you select them, but that's what you want in GPP contests. You win lineups based off of decisions like that. Exactly. Exactly. That's the and like 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 Spence said, I wouldn't be rushing to play the Gala in a cash game or anything like that. But for our for our GPP for the big hitter at that low ownership, he certainly does have that upside. All right, audience. You know, I love your work. Your your nominations are coming in. I uh, don't see a second yet, but keep them coming. Um, a few names that I've already been mentioned are guys that I like a lot. I'm, I am hesitating to even mention them because I don't want them to get off the board because maybe they'll come back to me. Uh, but I think the recommendations so far look good. Um, but we do need to get that final pick in. So we need a second. While we're waiting for the audience to get that final pick in, David, any thoughts on Thigala this week? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty shocked at that 4% number. If that's what it ends up being, I think that is some massive, massive leverage. I mean, as you guys mentioned, he's, he is a boom. will be a bus play, absolutely. Um, but I, I love the trend that I'm seeing with his approach numbers. Um, just diving into that um, at the moment, that looks looks decent. That he, he gained more strokes on approach, um, in his um, last outing. That's always a good sign that the ball striking is trending in the right direction. Um, look, he, he's absolutely like a GPP play only. I wouldn't be playing him in any single entry. I wouldn't be playing him in any cash game whatsoever. Um, I'd just be playing him in um, some of those bigger bigger tournaments because at four percent, he absolutely has the ability to win. I mean, he, he could come out and just stripe this field. Um, so, yeah, I, I like the play from that perspective, absolutely. I love it. I love it. And great job, audience. Way to get your pick in, Scott. Stallings. Um, I like this pick here for, from you guys. Again, I think in this tournament, I think you're getting a, an underpriced golfer. I don't think he's coming in in the best form. I mean, in fact, rewind two to three months, he was really hot playing some of the best golfers. He's come back to earth a little bit, but – we're not far removed from that time where he was red hot. You're getting him at 7,600, and there's certainly an upside that he has in this field. Uh, David, what do you think about this pick? Yeah, look, I don't know if I'm going to get there on Stallings this week. Again, the, the driving accuracy just um, worries me a little bit lately. Um, that would be my my concern, and, and his approach numbers dropped on his last appearance as well. Look, I mean, to be fair, that was at Congaree, and, and that is the kind of course where that can happen. Um, and I think he has got some good upside. I think he's an extremely talented golfer. Um, I like the long-term prospect of Stallings. I just don't know if this is going to be the week that I necessarily play him. Fair enough. Spence, you are back on the clock. Did you get the guy you were hoping for? So I'm going to say this. Everybody is still on the board currently. And 
now it's playing a game to try to figure out how David doesn't steal my pick, which I assume is going to happen at this point. We are at least good for it once a show where a pick gets straight Jack for me. And I, and I will say every single pick that David has made so far is on a short list of options. If I had to deviate away from the route that I was going to take. Uh, but unfortunately those players are off the board now, if I do need to veer in that direction. So I'm going to have to be precise with this play. I'm going to have to make the right decision or, and, and here's the problem with this show. Here's the one thing I will say. When I make this pick here, it's going to lock me in to where my salary is now stuck at that number. So if David does end up stealing a, mm-hmm. a player from me, it just throws everything into a loophole because now it's like, I can't just say, I'm just kidding. And, and I'm going to, I'll tell you who I'm taking. I'm going to take, I'm going to take Matt Kuchar at 8,900. I don't think that's necessarily the player that David was going to take, but um I can't now say, okay, I don't want Matt Kuchar anymore because I need to rebuild this lineup in a different route. And and that's the problem that comes into play here. But I really like Kuchar's numbers. Like we've seen him this season. He's turned stuff around. Uh, You know, he has two top 37s at this course in the past two years. That's not anything to write home about necessarily, but pretty much no matter how I run my model, he's inside the top 10 in all iterations for it. And when I run it for safety, it really likes the potential that he brings to the table. So if you're telling me that I have a golfer that's 7.9%, I'm not necessarily looking for safety. It's like the opposite of the Thagala thing here. But if you're telling me he's 7.9% and it it thinks his upside is a top 10, 15 type play, and it thinks his safety propels him into like a top 5 to 10 play, I think there's a lot to like about him because there is a built-in floor. There's an upside that it likes. And there's a percentage of ownership to where... I mean, it's kind of massively boosting in my model when it comes to leverage. So um, I'm going to take Kuchar. That might end up biting me because I'm kind of afraid that that's not where he was going to go. And now he's going to steal my pick. But I'll let you do it now, David. No, 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 Spence. That was where I was going to go. That was exactly where I was going to go. Absolutely. Um, so that's great. That's great. I've, um, I've done well picking the, the draft order this week. And... Do you know what? As I said, this is karma. This is just retribution for um, me constantly stealing Spencer's picks for the last few weeks and um, that he's now taken both Putnam and Kucha for me. Um, I have a $100 head-to-head with um, Rick Gaiman in play this week, which is I have Matt Kucha, he has Mackenzie Hughes, um, and yeah, miscuts and ties, um, no blood drawn. So um, I like him enough to put my money where my mouth is and go head to head with um, Rick Gaiman on this one. So I love that. Um, congratulations. Yeah, I do too. I do too. It's an absolute lock. So Rick, um, you know, don't make me come all the way back to Vegas to collect from you when I when I win that one. Um, Okay, well, my next two picks then, I'm going to take, um, I know one of the guys I was going to take anyway, which was Russell Knox. Um, so Russell Knox gained just a ton of strokes on approach in his last outing, and he's also gained in a big way on accuracy in both of his last two tournaments. He's got a really good record here. He's got a really good record at the RBC Heritage as well, so that's a direct correlation to this course. Um, RBC Heritage is, is basically your go-to um, as a comp course to here. Um, what, I, what I like with Knox, I mean, he just he really has so few opportunities on tour every year where he can win, and this is one of the few where the distance isn't so penal that he just can't compete whatsoever. So, um, you know, it, 
it, it is one of those opportunities that you know that this is the sort of tournament that he targets. He's an incredible wind player as well. He's very, very good in the wind. His best performances do come when it's windy and it gets a bit tougher. Um, and yeah, his approach plan, his accuracy is, is what we're going to need um, to perform this week. So I'm going to take that one. And then with my next pick, um, how much salary has Spence got left? What have we got? Is that 8050, is it? Mm-hmm. Let me just have a little, little think about who that may be. Um, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with who, who I, or I think I know who it might be. I think I know who it might be. Do I? Okay. Just out of spite, just out of pure, pure spite. I wouldn't have taken this player, but I'm going to do it because I think this is who Spence is going to take, and that's just fun. Um, Kevin Kisner. I'm going to take Kevin Kisner at 8,300. Yeah, it, it, was, it was Kevin Kisner. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I will say with Kevin Kisner, I, I, I do like how he profiles this week. Um, I'll see if Spence can find out my other name, who I was considering um, on the way back. But Kevin Kisner, um, look, I... I I love the way that he has really lifted his game, elevated his game as of late. Um, obviously, we saw him um, perform very well throughout the playoffs, particularly. Um, you know, so coming into a weaker field, I like that here. I like the way he profiles in terms of he's got that sort of short game in terms of um, chipping putting that can really put a score together. Um, and he's an accurate driver, kind of a similar mold to Russell Knox as well, where this is the kind of tournament where distance off the tee is not going to be his penal. So... I don't think that this ruins the, the draft by saying this because I'm going to name a player that hasn't been taken yet. I mean, unless you guys would prefer me not to name a player that, and I, I'm not selecting this as my pick, but unless you guys tell me not to name this player, I won't. Do it. Do okay. It. So how I wanted to go with this route here is I think it was a really savvy way. Kevin Kisner, Harris English. I think Harris English is trending in a positive way right now. I think the iron play is turning around. I thought that was a really unique way to end a build to where, I mean, Kisner is like, I mean, Kisner has no ownership to him right now, virtually in comparison. And even Harris English, it's like 7.9%. I think you're able to create leverage in that sense, but I am going to pivot and I'm fortunate in this sense that there was, there was like three or four players that I liked. And when Kuchar fell back to me, it allowed me to either go Kuchar and Kisner and or Kucher and a player that, you know, unfortunately at this point, I wish that the name that I could tell you right now would be Jason Day. I wish he was still on the board. This is where like the the draft works in opposite ways to where like I can't make that my play. I'm gonna take a golfer that does have some volatility. He does have a bit of ownership right now that worries me ever so slightly. But uh, with the way that this board has played out, I'm gonna take Keith Mitchell at nine thousand three hundred. Two top 14 finishes at this course over the past three years. We saw a ninth from him last weekend. We know that the total driving, any single time we look at total driving for him, he's one of the best total drivers in the field. And um, I actually think his win equity is higher. Like, so here's the best way to say it. It's like when his number, and I did not bet him as an outright bet, but when his number came out, he was the very first guy I wanted to bet. And unfortunately, markets priced him at about 35 to one. And then, the removal of Fina has pushed him down into like the 22 to one range. I don't think those prices are necessarily like where I want to get this week, but I understand it from an upside perspective because my model seems to be agreeing. Like 
Keith Mitchell can compete. Keith Mitchell can can make a run at this if he gets hot in certain aspects of his game. Bermuda is always a big increase for him. So uh, at least with taking Mitchell here, I'm going to be able to leave a bunch of salary on the bottom end. But I know it's only 6,800, but like there's a bunch of players there that I can name. There's one that I prefer over anybody else. But um, I think that this is the safest way that I can just build the lineup, take my guy at the top and kind of just call it a day up there and then figure out who's at the bottom when it comes back to me. Well, I do like the, uh, I do like the pick. Uh, I do think there's upside um, questioning the dumpster dive strategy. I will just pray that something comes back to you, but we'll see. You do tend to find those diamonds in the rough from week to week. Um, audience, don't forget you are on the clock. We're going to need two. So nice of you see it to take some time out of the hockey game that you're at to join us. We miss you tonight as always, but thanks for stopping by. Um, and that's that's the sort of dedication you can expect from the Win Daily team. That even when we're at a live NHL game, we are still tuning into the Draftcast to to help you out. You're you're welcome, world. That is true. Sia never misses a show. He's always getting involved with the chat. Uh, but unfortunately, Sia, you picked the wrong two teams. As the winner is going to be my team this week, of course. Um, what about the, David at the Golden Knights game. So here we go. The, the entire communities at the uh, at the NHL today. A lot of a lot of hockey tonight, so uh, that's good. Um, you know what? You can Jack. Are we going to take that Rosegate on this if you want? But I don't care. You're taking Justin Rose because the lack of nominations and other options is run out. So Justin Rose, I think you know I'm okay with Justin Rose pick. I mean, he's certainly talented. Um, it's a wild card pick. I, I probably would reserve him for. GPPs and bigger tournaments, but I do think he has some upside. He can get you a top 10 if he puts it all together this week. Um, Spence, what do you think about the Rose pick? I think you kind of, I don't want to go over the same thing that you just said. I think you summarized it very well. He's a player that my model likes from an upside perspective. It worries about his safety. I think he makes a lot of sense in GPP contests. Um, I think he's a player in the first round leader market that I would be considering like specifically and he's a play that if you have access to like every single name available at both courses and they're just like grading it as they're at the same course essentially i think rose at the number was uh, i saw 60 to one to be first round leader i thought that was in a very intriguing price just because i really like his upside this week but uh, i have absolutely no issues with this play there's there's going to be volatility like if rose misses the cut you kind of know what you're buying into at this point but i like the upside that he presents I love it. I love it. I appreciate the feedback. All right. I got my back to back to wrap up my draft here. I'm certainly locked in on the first. I'm going to go with Nick Hardy. Um, I just like the way Nick Hardy's been playing. His ball striking has been in really good form. Um, he's got a top five at the Sanderson at the end of September. But since then, it's tied for 44, 23rd, and 21. So he's consistently been bringing it. And he gets a lot of birdies, which I like in this tournament. He should. Even if he maybe doesn't get a super high finish, I think I'll get enough points by his scoring with the birdies to cover. So I'm, I'm locked in there with my next pick. I'm debating from a few guys. Um, I just want to check one thing real quick before I make my final decision. All right. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, – yeah, I'm going to go with David Lipsky. Um, he wasn't taken right. Yeah, David Lipsky – uh, again, he's another guy who's just really – he's come on really strong. He's, I mean, 
He's, what's really been popping for him is, is around the green game more, more, more recently, but his ball striking has been there. Um, he's been pretty consistent. The biggest concern with Lipsky is that he can – he's really hit or miss with the flat stick. Um, if he finds a, a hot putter this week and makes a few putts, I think he has a lot of upside as well to win the tournament. I, I want to just very quickly touch on the Nick Hardy play. So my model I, – I, I pull numbers to look at par or better streaks, and it takes a minimum of two rounds, and it's going to find your – and it's not the greatest statistic because when you play a difficult venue – you know, all the players get wiped away on it. So we've gotten a lot of easy venues recently. So I think that there's like enough of a run that we can talk about. So number one, Brian Harmon, 19 consecutive rounds are par better. And I'm just going to say this. I'm a little disappointed that nobody took Brian Harmon in this draft. I kind of think he's going to win the tournament, which is kind of a gross thing to say when I, I don't have him, nobody else took him. So uh, that's unfortunate. Second on that list, though, in a tie, Nick Hardy and Hayden Buckley. And in fairness, the guy I was deciding between with Lipsky was Buckley. I was like, am I go with Buckley or do I go with Lipsky? Um, so, you know, that's, that's a good set to go. I appreciate that. Uh, all right. Audience, you are back on the clock. You need to – 8,600 is your limit. So we need to be strategic um, in making sure you get someone within budget. Uh, looking at your options, maybe Pendrith, maybe Webb Simpson. Um, I saw, I doubled down on Webb Simpson. Did you? <laughs> I want you, somebody to take him. I was going to say, I was like, are you really going back to? I know you love Webb Simpson, but at some point, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't like him as much as week. The one thing I will say about Webb Simpson, I think he fits that like saw hit the gala narrative to where that he makes sense in GPP contests if you are shooting for the moon. I worry about what he's presented and put on the table recently, but. It's a good course for him. I, I'm I'm done at this point recommending Webb Simpson for contest until 2023. And that's a real like cop-out answer because this is probably our last show till 2023. But um, I don't know. I mean, it's a boomer bust play at the end of the day. Yeah, I would agree. Um, the lack of nominations from the audience right now is concerning to the point where I think we got to give you Smalley because it's like close enough with Jack and Steven. So um, as long as Smalley fits, yeah, Smalley it is. You know, he was someone I considered. He was going to on the back end of my roster, someone I was looking at, but but at least I did put some thought into. I don't love him, but, but I don't hate it either. I always say this, and I know we have one venue that's a par 72, but I always like Alex Smalley when you have a par 70 venue that reduces par 5 scoring. I, I have no issues with that play. There you have it. How about you, David? Yeah, I, I think that last week's performance was pretty eye-catching, you know, gaining across the board and all, all strokes gained. Um, and then previous to that, um, he was 11th at Bermuda. So, you know, I, I like Alex Morley as a player. He's still young, you know, he's 26 years old. Like, he's still got quite a lot of um, future ahead of him. We don't fully know what he's um, what he is yet. So I'm interested to see how the rest of his career progresses. Um, it, it could be an interesting spot for him. Amazing. I like it. I like it. Spencer, with your final pick, who are you taking? So I saw David post this in Discord chat. Um, I'm I'm curious to get your answer on this, David, if you can elaborate just a little bit on it. So mm. I am not taking this player. I have concerns because I, I agree with you. I don't think that this is the prototypical setup that you would want for him. The thing I will say to that is, at six thousand three hundred dollars, 
Dean Burmeester is way too cheap. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to burn your lineup and miss the cut. Uh, do you want to elaborate on that very quickly of why you don't like him this week? Yeah, I mean, look, the, we, we were obviously quite high on Dean Burmester last week and he burned all of us, which can happen at, at Houston. It is that kind of course where um, you can get into to a bit of trouble and he, he did have uh, some penalty strokes out there. My my concern with him would be that Dean Burmester's biggest strength is his distance off the tee. Like, he is an incredible driver of the golf ball and, you know, I, I want to find spots where I can put a golfer whose greatest assets are going to shine and going to be at the forefront. And this, this just simply isn't it. For me, he's he's better at these kind of courses where, you know, he can take advantage of the driver, you know, and we've seen him um, at various spots like that where he's performed very well. I, I highly, highly rate him as a golfer. I've, I, I have no doubt that he will fit in just fine on the PGA Tour and, um, and will achieve a win in the next year or two um no doubts on that whatsoever agreed that his price has dropped way too much given basically just one performance last week you know to take the volatility of 36 holes like anything can happen in that sort of span um but yeah i just i don't know if it's the right course fit for him i'd rather see him at a longer course where it could use his driver a little bit more especially considering three of those rounds are going to be on the past 70. I would agree with that also. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, he's 40th in my model. He is the 113th price player on DraftKings. Like, that at least intrigues me, but I do think he has missed cut potential. And I think the other problem that comes into play with Burmeester, I kind of like Brian Stewart this week. If you can get him at half the ownership, I think that's a unique way to pivot off of, like, the chalk that's Burmeester. But I'm going to go just as gross. Obviously, I'm down in the $6,000 range. I got to find somebody here. I'm going to take... And this is a chalky option at 6.4%, but I'm going to take Ryan Armour at $6,800. So uh, if we take the seven times Armour has played this event since 2014, and then we highlight how he's entered the tournament from his start before the RSM, we get this trend that shows bad form has equaled missed cuts and good performances have, have resulted in top 40 finishes at the track. I'm not a person that believes in trends, but in this particular situation, it does matter because it's it's a... It's a player that if you, you're telling me that if he has bad form, he plays badly at this course and he has good form and he plays well, that means something like that's not a trend at that point. That's almost like historical data that's telling me he actually likes this course if he is in somewhat of good form. And we've seen him recently. He has multiple back-to-back top 30 finishes uh, of the three times he's generated a top 55 finish at the tournament before Sea Island. He hasn't finished worse than 37th place at this event. You could argue that the birdie making potential is always going to be tapped uh, or capped at some point because there's not going to be, um, I guess at the end of the day, like you don't have as, you have fewer tap and birdies that come into play, but I don't know. I like him at this price. I think it's a boomer bust play, which unfortunately at six and a half percent, that's not necessarily what you want to be talking about for a $6,000 golfer, but I don't know. I mean, if you told me that he came in like 12th place, I certainly think that's in his range of outcomes and I don't think 6.8% is that egregious when my model thinks he's 19th overall and that's taking a lot of like that weight of proximity plus putting in. It has him really well when I run this for upside, which is in fairness with like a really condensed data set that fits his style. And, you know, he has miscut equity that comes into play, but I'm almost willing to avoid or ignore the ownership in this particular spot just because I think if he does hit 6.8% is still low enough to where like the rest of my lineup, it kind of all booms together. 
I think that's fair enough. I like the play. Um, I think for diving down for a value play, he's one of the guys that makes sense. You know, and while yeah, six point eight percent is high for him, it overall is not you know that high of an ownership where it should be. You know, you, you definitely want to avoid thirty percent ownership on anyone, but at six point eight, I think he'll be okay with that pick. David, how are you going to wrap up this draft? Yeah, so I think I'm going to end up leaving a bit of money on the table. I mean, um, I, I like Spence, quite liked the Brian Harmon play. I was looking at like a route instead of um, if I hadn't taken Kevin Kisner just because it was so obviously where Spence was going to go and that was just the, the right thing to do um, from a game theory perspective. Um, I would have gone Harmon and then dived into that 6K kind of range as well. I really like the Brian Harmon play, by the way, as well. I think that's great. Um, I'm going to round out with um, the player that I would have was was also considering other than um, Kevin Kisner, which is uh, Troy Merritt. I really like that um, the place that we got from him last time out in Mexico, which, you know, even though um, is different type of grass and um, different kind of environment down in Mexico, um, it is the kind of course as well where you can get into trouble off the tee if you're not driving it accurately. Um, for Merritt, he is an incredible um, accurate driver of the golf ball so he hasn't lost strokes on the field for accuracy since the Valera Texas Open in April of last year so he is going to keep the ball in play for you we can allude to the fact from um, you know there, there's not stroke gains data for the for the um, WWT but we can basically take for a fact that being third he was gaining on his ball striking in that tournament I mean he's got a great history here as well so I mean 23rd and 2019 at the um, at the RSM and then 22nd last time out and then the RBC Heritage he's got some great form as well he's got a third a tenth and a twelfth that one last year when he was twelfth was um, offered back of a fourth at the Valero Texas Open which again one of those courses where if you stray too far off you know you can um, be in sort of desert wasteland kind of area um, and yeah you can can miss a little bit but if you miss a lot then the penalties um, incredibly high and he's performed well at that track as well so. I like that um, correlation with with good positive wind courses, um, and he's good part of the golf ball too. There you have it. Um, that is a wrap for the DraftCast tonight. I apologize for going a little bit long, but before we wrap up, feel free to let us know what lineup you think is going to win, whose team do you like the best. Report back. It won't be next week, but later in the year, we'll we'll, we'll follow up on the winning team. Don't forget. Give us a follow, hit the like button. It goes a long way. If you like this show, if you tune in every week, we know who you guys are. We're super appreciative, the audience, the fans. You guys make this show. We wouldn't be here doing this without you. Um, so, yeah, hit the like button. You know, Give us a follow if you can. But we're not done yet. We still have our first-round leaders, which we hit on every single week. We'll start with David. David, who do you like in the first-round leader bracket this week? I haven't got access to any first-round leader pricing this week, to be fair. So um, you might have to go to divert to Spence if he's been able to obtain anything, but I haven't had access to anything as of yet. So there aren't any lines out yet, uh, so we don't be able to give you the actual numbers. But if you want okay. to give a few names of guys you might think are first-round leader plays and when the lines come out, tomorrow some people you can follow or you might like that would be helpful but yeah we won't so be what, any actual lines yet tonight yeah so what so what i what i'd say in terms of that is that um i would be certainly favoring players on the plantation course it does tend to 
score a little bit lower than um, Seaside. Um, you've also got um, extra part fives on that one. Um, and I am favoring a PMT time as well um, at the moment. Bear in mind though, it is a condensed field, right? Because they're starting on the two courses that um, there's from first tea time to last tea time is only two hours. So the, the difference in terms of weather isn't going to be as significant as others, but I do prefer a later tea time. So um, I like Russell Knox, who's going off in the evening. Um, Dylan Weir was someone that I considered who was part of my player pool in Nicardi as well. So they would all fit that bill of going off in the afternoon and um, starting on the plantation course. I love it. I love it. How about you, Spence? Anyone that you might be targeting in the first round leader market? Obviously, we don't know the prices yet, but anyone that you might be looking for? I'll give a couple players on the plantation course. And I mean, I think, unfortunately, most books are going to split up the pricing for it. So uh, there is one book out there. I, I, I can give the book on here, right? Sure. Yeah. I think so. Um, I, I've, and not everybody has access to it, but I've seen Bet365, or at least at a certain time, Bet365 had first round leader prices available and they were just jumbling everybody into one big group there. So, I mean, some of the plantation guys that I like there, Justin Rose, 60 to one, Keith Mitchell, 55 to one, Kevin Kisner, 66 to one, Ryan Armour, 125 to one, and Adam Svensson. 110 to one. But I mean, I think unfortunately at the end of the day, none of that is really going to be that beneficial because I think when FanDuel and DraftKings do post numbers tomorrow or tonight or whenever it comes out into the space, I mean, you're going to have those prices chopped in half of what I just said. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'll run some numbers and see, I'll post it in discord if I find anything that I like, but it's, it's unfortunately like one of those tournaments where they have found a way that we can't make first-round leader bets on this show. They are trying everything in their power to stop losing money to us. And I guess congratulations to them for coming up with a strategy. Yeah, they said they were going to start changing when they released the lines to after our show because we were getting too good at it. So they didn't want everyone to be able to play, which I totally understand. I mean, you know, they're a business too. It's it's tough for everyone to be able to get those plays. So don't worry if you pay $5.99, you get access to our Discord. You come in, we'll post the plays when the lines come out. You'll get them, you'll hit what we do every single week, and you'll be a lot richer. So it'll be a lot of fun. Just subscribe to Win Daily. Uh, it's pretty much a lock every week. Just to name a few guys I'm looking at for the first round meeting market. At least I'm excited to see what those lines come out to be. They're for sure going to be Hayden Buckley, uh, Davis Riley. And there's, you know, just comparing to the outright market, there's some guys that are pretty deep long shots that might be interesting to take a shot on, especially this week, considering – um, you know, the, the poorness of the field, like it's kind of like anyone can pop. So Brian Stewart is another guy I'll definitely have an eye on in the first round leader market right. as well. Uh, that's a wrap for tonight. We appreciate you tuning in. It might be a minute before we see you again. We will miss you, but we'll be back. We'll be back stronger than ever when the tournaments kick back off. Give us a follow on Twitter. We'll be posting things. We'll be around Chat with us. Get into to uh, sign up for Win Daily for five ninety nine. Get into the Discord. You'll have access to get our outright plays as well. Um, did I forget anything? Well, the one thing, I, the one thing I'll add to that very quickly is, uh, books are pricing us out by not releasing numbers. Can you imagine a world that I get censored here to where Jason Day wins this tournament and then we don't do a show for like? a month and a half after that point, that's going to be the ultimate. I think we might just need to come on and talk about Jason Day's victory if that happens. But uh, no, I mean, from my end, good luck to everybody this week. 
Uh, I think Joel said it earlier. Be aware of – this is a very weak field in comparison to what we usually get. Be aware of what ownership is out there. I think there's a lot of spots that you can pivot around this week. There's a few guys near the top that I like, but there's a lot of routes that you can go. I kind of really like this tournament, and I wish Finau still would have been in it because it even made it a better board. Um, I still think this is a very good DFS contest uh, week, even if DFS contests aren't being put out there like they should on DraftKings. But uh, – I, I like this tournament. I love it. I mean, this there is some gambling to me. By the way, I think about it is the tournaments like this. The edge is in the smart gambler more than anything, right? The guy who knows how to play the advantage with ownership and play the advantage with pricing and things like that. That you can find your your bigger edge than normal. So um, that is a wrap for tonight. Good luck. And 